one of the things I try to do is help help my clients understand the God call they have for entrepreneurialism. And you know, it isn't just about writing checks to charities because you got a lot of money. Uh, it's about looking at the people that work for you and, and then looking for ways for you to make a big difference in your marketplace, in the families that work for you. And, uh, uh, you know, the other thing I'd say is make sure you take care of your spouse in the middle of all of it. Because if you make a lot of money and you blow your marriage up, you've missed the whole point of the God-given call of being an entrepreneur. On today's episode, we have Dave Nabdi, president of Nabdi Business Advisors. Steve, who knew that transitioning a business between family members uh, had more to do with managing the dynamics of a family relationship than it is actually about the business itself? It's about the head and the heart between these family members, uh, and it really isn't as much about the numbers. You know, Jake, that's Dave's business, and that's why yeah. his business is flourishing. Uh, in addition to the financials, the family dynamic adds a unique component to a business that you need to navigate it very carefully and very well. Yeah, you could tell that he's got this unique ability to to see into the head, into the heart of, of individuals and to be able to diagnose, okay, what might be going on here amongst this family that needs to be resolved prior to this transition. And he's got a gift there that most people don't have, which to your point, makes him really good at what he does. And anybody thinking about bringing a family member into the business needs to watch this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It, there's a lot of great meat in there. And also when you're watching it, I want you to let me know who's younger. <laughs> uh, we'll put a poll out after this to see, uh, let's see what people think. But uh, all right, let's just head west. Stay tuned as we discuss the importance of entrepreneurs in the community, navigating the dynamics of a family business, and how the midterm elections will affect U.S. businesses with our guest, Dave Navity. This episode is brought to you by Skyline Point Capital. If you're anything like me, you're always considering where to invest your money. Stocks, bonds, crypto, and rental home, the list is literally endless. As we've all seen over the past year, the stock market is unstable, the housing market is just weird, and inflation is on the rise. In times like these, the clear place to invest my money is in multifamily real estate, aka apartment complexes. Here's why. Returns on real estate investments have little to no correlation with the stock market. There's lower volatility, stable income streams, and the tax benefits are insane. And let's not forget that the apartments will typically appreciate in value over time, which means you can walk away with a pretty nice return when the complex is sold in three to five years. Best of all, multifamily investing is passive, so you get all of the benefits without the hassle and headache of your typical rental home investment. Getting started has never been easier. Head to skylinepointcapital.com to learn how you can start investing today. My first band was a band called Mac, actually it was Odyssey, and then it was Mac Nasty. And then I worked my way up to a band called Sapphire. We had three horns, a lead vocalist, uh, drums and guitar, and we were funky. I mean, er, 
Earth, Wind, and Fire, Tower of Power, Commodores, you name it, everything that was good dance music, man, we did it. And that was a blast. Yeah. Do you still play? But it also caused me to drop out of college. And uh, and then I met my wife and uh, at 17, believe it or not. And by 18, I proposed and got married at 19 and had a, my first kid by the time I was 20. So uh, I had to grow up real fast. And the only thing I could figure out to do was to start selling insurance. I was in a in a bar actually playing a gig and I was talking to my dad on the phone and some guy overheard me talking to him and offered me a job to sell life insurance. And so um, I started there and then by the time I was 25, started my own firm. And then over time, learned the securities business and decided all I wanted to do was work with business people. So in the 90s, then I specialized my company to provide consulting services and advisory services to companies. And I ended up getting degrees from the financial fields, um, doing a lot of study and that kind of stuff. But I mean, uh, unlike him, you know, he gets a scholarship to play baseball. He gets a degree as an engineer. He's twice as smart as I am. And I'm just the guy with the mouth that can communicate and <laughs> and motivate people to do stuff. So I was the sales guy and he was the engineer the thinking guy. Yeah. yeah. The nerd guy. You know, when you think about it, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I'm reading a book. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant um, and his memoirs. And I'm reading this book and I'm getting, I'm talking to Ulysses S. Grant by, by reading this book, basically. And one of the things their army had to do is assess how to go in and be able to fight the enemy. And do we go over the mountains? Do we go around the mountains? Do we got rivers? You know, all this stuff. And it was the engineers that set everything up so the guys could go to war and win. And when you think about it in society today, he's an engineer. When you think about it, everything that we live off of and do and take for granted is done by engineers. Mm-hmm. You ever think about that? Yeah, that's so true. The roads we drive on, you know, the electrical systems, the plumbing systems, the sewage systems, engineers do it all first. And then we have the benefits of living off of it. And he's an engineer. So that's uh, what I have to say about that. Well, correction real quick. He's a real estate mogul now. <laughs> Retired engineer. <laughs> well, that's, that's I mean, it. I tell you, it's a, per, it's a perfect transition, right? Yeah. You go from being an engineer to being an entrepreneur and then getting the skills in real estate and real estate development. I mean, it's a perfect setup for the kind of guy he is. And that, that should give... Uh, the client some confidence that you you aren't dealing with somebody that is just a fly by night sales hustler that's just trying to do deals to manipulate people to sure. give up the money. I mean, he's his engineering mind is thinking through everything that they're doing uh, to make sure that uh, it all works out. So yeah. I mean, anyway, I think that's an. You're right. I mean, as a go ahead. When you're in real estate or when you're investing in real estate as a as a, a passive investor, you want to trust that the 
the person you're investing with has thought of every little detail. They've stress yeah. tested every outcome. Yeah. They have done stringent testing on the on the analysis. Um, you want to you want to make sure that you're choosing that sort of person to make sure that your uh, your investment is sound. Um, yeah, go, and uh, think about all the guys in the real estate business that are just hustlers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. It's just like, let's do this deal versus that deal. And let's get this capital and let's raise this money and let's do this. And, and a lot of these guys are trying to get rich fast. And, um, you know, they've got the, the marketing and the sales mind as opposed to the fundamentals of doing things. Yep. So, so I wanna, anyway, I want to. I don't know why I went down that road, but that's all right. Know, I think it's important. That's my brother. Yeah. That's the my mouth. brother. <laughs> As he said it. The uh, I want to come back over to your side of the business. So you you said you started in insurance at I think nineteen because someone uh, you were at a bar playing, someone tapped you on the shoulder, and it seemed like the the next best step. Uh, but you've since I think you alluded to it, you've since transitioned into more estate planning about transition. For, uh, within, uh, like in family businesses, where where's your sweet spot right now in business? Well, um, it, it, you know, if you start the insurance business, you learn the marketing and the sales, and then you get in the securities business and you learn the fundamentals of investing. Um, I there was a piece that I saw missing, and that is. Uh, a lot of times, especially with family companies, there's a lot of drama. Uh, there, there can be dysfunction. Um, you can have uh, issues between siblings that inherited stock from dad, uh, or you might have a father that's got two kids in the business and one of them's an MBA and really smart at what they're doing and the other one you could replace easily. Yeah. Then the dad's trying to figure out, what do I do? Um, you can have alcoholics. You can have narcissists. Um, there's all sorts of uh, things that can go on inside of a family business that if you're the family, it's really tough to deal with that stuff. And, um, you know, one of the things I, I, I didn't mention is that I, I tried to succeed at becoming the governor of the state of Nebraska, ran for office and, and uh, didn't win the primary. And then I ran for mayor of Omaha, and uh, I was pulling in the number one spot until another guy got in the race, and he pulled enough votes away from me that he came in last, and I came in third and didn't make it through the primary, and I was so disgusted with how much effort that I put in to try to get elected and not win that I went, mm, I'm done with politics, and one of the things that I did before uh the final, you know, election is I went through a marriage counseling process with my wife. We'd been married 33 years at that time. And um, I thought I was going to win. And I knew I was going to be away from her a lot. And I wanted to make sure that we were in a good spot. So we went through this marriage counseling with a guy where you show up on Monday and you don't leave till Friday. And they do a deep dive inside your heart. And we had a lot of stuff that we had to get out that we'd held on to for years. It, it, it transformed our life and we ended up getting remarried. And I was so impacted by that counseling process that when I lost the mayor's race, I decided to get trained in marriage counseling. Mm. 
And that experience of knowing marriage counseling has made me, I think, really valuable at working with companies and families and helping them get through the big issues so that we can find a good transition plan for the company if generation one is selling to generation two or if if you've got one family working in the business and you got two or three others that aren't but they inherited the stock from dad and you got to come up with a strategic plan to buy out the others uh, my company today goes inside the businesses we do the valuations of the companies we we meet with all the parties involved to try to figure out what's up here and and even sometimes more importantly what's here mm -hmm. to figure out what the right strategy is to transition the business so that the right people are running it it does not have to be sold off because there's family drama when the shareholders die if there's young stockholders that that or young executives that really should be stockholders or given the opportunity to become owners we want to try to do that and at the end of the day, when it's all done, the fourth thing is we want the family to still love each other when we're all said and done. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a finessing. It's being a third party that can come in and analyze what's going on, try to come up with the right strategy to transition the company and try to do it in such a way that everybody loves each other when we're all said and done. And that's where the marriage counseling, yeah. you know, really came in and helped me uh, get good at what I'm doing today. The attorneys don't do this. The CPAs don't do this. And and a lot of the companies rely on those two. But these the, the accountants and the attorneys are not going to tell the dad that his 360-pound son who comes in at nine and leaves at four should not be a stockholder. Um, and you know what I mean? You know, and, you know, we get into that stuff. Sometimes I've got I've gotten fired twice because I've gone in and assessed the situation and I ticked off the dad so bad that he fired me. And in both situations, it was drama going on between the two sons that were supposed to take over the business from dad. One of them, I, I just, I don't know if this is what you want me to share, but uh, one of the cases, there was a, an owner uh, that um, is a recovered alcoholic very successful businessman, but he's a recovering alcoholic. He had two sons in the business and neither one of them liked each other. And one was working out of Texas and one was working out of Omaha. And I'm looking at this situation and I'm going, dad dies, this is gonna be a problem. And they had one operations guy inside the business that was kind of running the business. That wasn't an owner. A strong Christian guy. I even know the church he goes to, a really sound, solid guy. So my suggestion was that we find a way to allow him to own 20% of the company, have the two sons own 40. And the reason for that is, is you have to have 60% uh, in agreement if you want to close the company or if you want to, you know, do something significant. It's not just 51. You gotta you gotta have 60% to really be able to make the big, big decisions. And so my suggestion was let's find a way to allow him to become a 20% shareholder. And you could do it by helping him with financing. You know, you could bonus him the stock and help him pay the taxes on the bonus. There's a lot of ways where 
if you want somebody to become a shareholder, the company can expense uh, the stock being given to them. So the tax deduction uh, will often offset the bonus that you have to give the guy to cover the taxes on the stock. So there's ways to do that. Well, anyway, I made that guy so mad he fired me and uh, didn't want anything to do with me. And, you know, so uh, but that's that's what I that that's what I do, you yeah. know, and most of the time we're trying to get the stock in the hands of the family that's actually running, operating the business. And, um, you know, so it's coming up with the right valuation. It's studying the cash flows to see whether the company can afford to make the payments on the purchase and and working out what's in the head and the hearts of all the people involved. So that's that's what I do today. It sounds like I charge fees to fees to do that work. Yeah, it sounds like uh, I mean, you would think from the outside looking in that uh, um, when you're helping to buy and sell businesses, when you're when you're working towards transitioning business from a father to a son or a father to a daughter, or, you know, whatever the case may be. That it's all about numbers, it's all about plans and strategy. But uh, to your point, there is a lot of emotional and relational time that goes into that process as well, especially for family transitions. Would you say it's a pretty like even balance of yeah, you got the strategy, the business, all that, but a lot of it is let's work through the heart and the mind of transitioning this business to to a family member. Yeah, I got one company that we're working with right now. Where the two brothers that own the company, they're in their 70s. They're in their mid-70s. And um, uh, one of them is okay with transitioning the business down to a son and a grandson. The other one, who is older than the first brother, just can't get him, bring himself to say yes to doing the transition. And so, you know, you run into that stuff. Um, uh, we had a we had a hostile situation where we we uh, there were two sisters and a brother that inherited the stock from dad and we could not get the brother uh, to cooperate or do anything from a transition plan. And the two sisters had to force him out and buy him out hmm. before they could start making the right kind of decisions. So you run into all sorts of things in in family run companies and. The other thing that we work hard on is to make sure that uh, we have the estate plan of the people selling really tuned in because if you have, if you put on your balance sheet, your company's worth a dollar and you've been doing that for 20 years and then you turn around and sell it for $3, that $2 gain, you don't want in the estate sure. because it'll just be subject to estate taxes. So. A lot of times we'll have them recapitalize the company between voting and non-voting shares. And then we can discount the non-voting shares by 30%, gift those shares to an irre irrevocable trust or sell them to an irrevocable trust. Now we wouldn't sell them. We would gift them, uh, put them in that irrevocable trust and then sell the stock. So the $2 gain is not in the estate. So there's a lot of creative planning you got to do pre-transaction to make sure that you don't end up having uh, big estate problems down the road. What are what are some other things that uh, business owners should do now if they're thinking about selling 
thinking about transitioning their business to a family member or, or somebody who works underneath them, what are some of the things that they should be doing now to prepare for that, that season of transition or selling? Well, part of it's the estate plan of the seller, but the other part of it is making sure that your management team is tuned up and positioned right to be able to carry the business on. So let's say a dad, you know, sells a company for $5 million to the next generation. And that company then has to pay principal and interest payments to dad over a 10, 10 year period of time. Sometimes we extend that payment to 15 years or something because the people selling want to have a long-term income into retirement. But when you, when generation one sells to generation two and you have principal and interest payments that are due to the sellers, you've got to make sure that that business is tuned up and running as efficiently as possible. So we have, it's not me, we've got people in our operation that will go inside the company and do a deep dive on the finances, do a deep dive on the operation, the people, um, to make sure you got the right people in the right seats, that you got the financial operation running as efficiently as possible. And then they do training on uh, emotional intelligence so that um, you get people to understand what they're like and how they function with the team and, and what is the best way for everybody to communicate and work together. So hey. it's, it's operations, it's the financials of the company and their ability to run as efficiently as possible, and then it's emotional intelligence. Hey, Dave, you're talking about the, on the emotional intelligence side of a family business. Um, what would you recommend? Because the people listening to, to hear on this podcast have a business. They may have family wanting to come into the business. What would you advise the owners of a business before they bring in a daughter or a son or a grandson or somebody into the business um, rather than hiring a non-family member? What are the things should they be thinking about? So their own children. Is that what you're saying? Is Own, you know, chi own children or a, it could be a nephew or somebody in the business, family. Well, first of all, I like to see uh, the right education. You know, for me, of course, you know, I didn't go through uh, the normal channels for education. I got all my degrees afterwards from financial institutions. But I like to see if they're going to be in a position of leadership to, uh, to have training of some type. Um, and, you know, MB, having an MBA uh, is excellent. Um, but the other thing you got to do is you have to make sure you study the dynamic between the siblings that could be coming into business. Because if they don't get along or if there's jealousy or if there's envy or those sorts of things, it's going to create problems down the road. So the emotional intelligence stuff, Steve, is, is really good at helping everybody understand how they function, you know, and you can do things like strength finders. Um, uh, I'm trying to think, I'm, drawing a blank on what the other system is, but um, making sure you study the personalities, the dynamics. Um, what a lot of dads do is they just stuff a kid in a position and, you know, hope it works out. And I like to see them 
do a much better job of, of understanding the unique abilities of the kid, and then you make sure that you put them in the right spot. Now, the thing is, that can be real difficult inside of a family. And if it's up to dad to figure that out after raising them for 25 years, there's just too much history mm. that goes on in that family. That you got to have a third party come in and do the assessing so that when it when they sit down and present the information to the dad and tell them the truth, uh, the dad's in a position to be able, and I say dad, most of the time we're working with men. Uh, obviously, there's women that run and operate companies, so it's 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 the same thing, but you got to have, I think, a third party on the outside being able to do those assessments. So uh, it isn't personal. I guess that's the the point. It's it's not personal. I don't. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, that was fine. Uh, one of the th- uh, a peer of mine told me that has a family business. He said before they would bring their uh, children into the business, they had to go out and work for four to five years for somebody else. I love get, that. And, and get the, get their nose bloody, oh, make yeah. mistakes, learn what it's like to be in the real world before you bring him in the family business. And the reason about that is, is when you bring him in, let's say right out of college in, the only thing they know is what you're going to teach them. Absolutely and, right. And if they're out and, and you want them to work for, it could be a competitor of yours or somebody like that that's doing it really well, that they come back with now with a skill set and experience in the business world. And now they can come in and provide value rather than dad telling, telling the son or the daughter, this is how to do it because uh, things change. And so I've always remembered I think that. You're- I think you're absolutely right. What, how often out of 10 companies that have children in them, how many of the companies do you think actually do what you just said? I'm not, not sure. Many, probably. Uh, I, don't, I don't run into too many that do that. And a lot of times the kids working in the business in the summertime between school and, and they've been around the business for a long time. And so once they get through their schooling, they're in the company. I, I mean, that's what I see. What you're saying, I think, is ideal. Uh, I don't see that very much. Uh, most of the time, the kid. And here's where it gets really bad, because like you talk about it, if the, if, if the dad is, uh, I don't want to say a narcissist, but he's really really good at running the operation and he's a real driver and he's just got his way of doing things and he bring the kids in and the kids have a completely different personality and and those sorts of things but they're in the company sometimes uh the kids are in the business because they have to be in the business because that's what dad said from the get-go and if they really had their choice they'd probably work somewhere else but they're but they're kind of stuck. A lot of these kids feel like they're stuck in the company because it's the obligation that they, they've had for their lifetime. And um, so what we try to go in and uh, uh, bring a fresh look. And sometimes we got to get tough on dad because we've got to point out to dad that you know he's been rough on his kids and they're here because they feel like they have to be 
And uh, we've got to change the dynamic or when you go, this thing's going to crash. And um, so anyway, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but that's the kind of stuff that we see. You talked about uh, one of your top requirements or preferences as someone having education. <clears throat> For the longest time, going to college, getting a degree has been really the next step for most high schoolers. It's just expected you go to college to get your, uh, yeah. your, your uh, continued education. But in today's recent, in the recent environment, it, that, I think that sentiment starting to, to wane a little bit. And I would say, well, probably, it feels like a waste. Yeah. It feels like a waste of time. Yeah. And I'd say, especially and, in business. And to decide to decide at 18, what you're going to do the rest of your life is like really, really rough. That's why, um, if you think you have an inclination towards business, um, you know, if you can get a finance degree, so you understand financial statements and balance sheets and all that kind of stuff. And then you go into the MBA where it gives you real world experience of, of, uh, what business is really about you. Once I think you have that, you can go a lot of places and do a lot of things, but, um, you know, some of these degrees that people are getting out of universities are going to get them nowhere. Mm -hmm. And they, they've spent huge amounts of money to have a degree that when you get out, I mean, you might you might work at Starbucks instead of working in a in a company where you can really work your way up. That's where the engineering types yeah. of degrees, too, you know, comes in really handy, because. If you have that, you can get a job in a lot of places. You know, Jake, you were talking, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, I, I look at things, there's one, you need a degree based on the uh, discipline you're going in. You need, a, if you're going to be a doctor, you got to have a medical degree. Be an engineer, you got to have a, an engineering degree and accountant and et cetera. But one of the things I think is really, really important is, are you able to solve problems in critically think? You could have a degree in philosophy, but if you have a, a, a way to critically think and how to solve problems, you can do virtually anything. You can and do that in that side of it. Um, I think some people go to college and they get, get a degree and they think it's all, uh, I, can, I can solve things. But the world's changing all the time. Dave, are you, when you're dealing with clients uh, for your business, what did it look like five years ago as it compared to today? Was there a common theme or are you seeing other dynamics that are changing that may re require a different skill set when we're talking about who to bring in the business? Well, technology is just uh, blowing, blowing so fast uh, that um, there's constant retraining going on to keep up with technology and use technology. And, if you use it right, it can provide such good uh, assessment information um, and keeping track of your business operations that I see a lot of companies putting a lot of time and effort into uh, the technology that you wouldn't have maybe seen 10 years ago. But um, I do have something that I want to talk about that I think is an, an important spiritual aspect to all of this. And if I don't know if right now is the right time sure. to do it, but um, uh, one of the things that I, I, as I'm speaking to entrepreneurs, if there's entrepreneurs watching this, um, if you have the gift of entrepreneurialism, I believe that's a God-given gift. And let me, let me explain how important that is. 
if if you go into a community, if God really cares about that community, he might send a missionary or he might send a pastor. But the first monumental thing that will happen in that community is God will place an entrepreneur in that community to provide jobs by manufacturing something, trading something, or or servicing something that will provide jobs so people learn how to work and have a work ethic. They'll be able to put food in the refrigerator so they can feed their families. And they'll provide the economic strength so that marriages can stay together. And I believe one of the most important things to God is the family unit, the husband, the wife, becoming one and raising children and bringing those children up to be active in the community. But the entrepreneur is the most important thing that lands in that community. So if you have the gift of entrepreneurialism, I want you to recognize that God has given you that ability. And then the question is, is what do you do with that? Do you run your company just to make money and build a big estate and leave it to kids that become entitled? Or do you do you run a company to 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 have economic strength to be able to do things that really, really count in life? And the people that work for you need your mentoring and they need your coaching and they need your inspiration. A lot of the people that work for you came out of dysfunctional homes. A lot of them were wrecked by the families that they were brought up in, and they are trying to change their life and get out of the circumstances that they were in by coming to work for you and have an opportunity to grow and advance in their lives. And you're important to them. And and doesn't mean that you shouldn't have tough, tough discipline and tough standards and benchmarks and key performance indicators to run the company profitably. But many times you're their dad or their mom outside of the regular family. And um, the one thing I got to say is make sure that you do everything in love. If you do everything in love, whatever the outcome is, you know, that that's kind of doesn't really matter as long as you've done things in love. And you can run your companies in love and you can hold your employees accountable and you can do all that. Some of the best things you can do is show tough love to somebody that's lazy and they aren't on their game. Uh, but anyway, one of the things I try to do is help help my clients understand the God call they have for entrepreneurialism. And, you know, it isn't just about writing checks to charities because you got a lot of money. Uh, it's about looking at the people that work for you and and then looking for ways for you to make a big difference in your marketplace, in the families that work for you. And, uh, uh, you know, the other thing I say is make sure you take care of your spouse in the middle of all of it. Because if you make a lot of money and you blow your marriage up, you've missed the whole point of the God-given call of being an entrepreneur. Dave, that's awesome. And when you look at the entrepreneur who's setting up this business in in all parts of towns, 
um, if you and if you look at them and you realize that the people are working for you eight to five, out of the daylight hours, they're spending more time in your company than in fact at home. So as a leader, I think you're talking about being a servant leader. Yeah. Could you elaborate just a little bit more? What, what does a servant leader look like in a business? What would you envision for people out well, there that want to be entrepreneurs? Um, I, I, well, there's a, I could go down a couple different roads. Um, uh, one of them is having an atmosphere that has joy and fun. If everything that you're doing is just intense, and if everything is a whip on the back of the people that work for you, and you know all you do is look at the numbers and the economics, and you don't care about the people that are working for you, you're making a big mistake, and there's a pretty good chance you're doing that at home too, and you're not gonna stay married. Um, so a servant leader uh, cares about his people, creates an environment that is fun to work at, uh, where they're, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean you have to have uh, fake experiences, but it's being kind. It doesn't mean you're not driving performance and holding people accountable. But when you pull somebody in the room and they're not doing what you do, you have conversations that are calm, that are solid, that that show love and say, Joe, you know what? Here's the benchmarks that we needed you to hit and you're not hitting them. Now, um, I love you. I care about you. I want you to succeed. But if you're in this division and you're not hitting these numbers, we can't keep you. And um, I want to keep you. And um, but I can't keep you if you're not hitting these benchmarks and these numbers and you're not mean, you know, it's, it's, it's in that way, you're being kind because you're actually holding the guy accountable. And you might be the only one in that guy's life that's actually held him accountable for performing. And so, um, I mean, that's kind of my quick answer. Hey, Dave, I know we're, uh, we're running low on time. I wanted to, I wanted to ask a question that's more timely. So we just got done with midterm elections, uh, and it appears that the Senate's going to be run by Democrats, uh, housed by Republicans. From your opinion, I'd love to hear because you're, uh, you know, you've been in politics. Is what can we expect in the form of policy changes over the next two years? And um, how Gridlock. how do you? That's what I was going to say. Do you think anything Gridlock. gets done? <laughs> do you see that? Do you see any uh, for business owners? I think most uh, probably I can. Uh, say that most of our audiences are going to be business owners or in business. Do you see anything positive coming from, from what just came out of the midterm elections for business or what do you even expect to see for the next two years? Well, I, I, I think the gridlock, sometimes the stock market likes the gridlock because they know the politicians aren't going to do more to screw things up. So they feel better and they start investing. So from a stock market standpoint, uh, I expect us to come out of the the hole we're in. If you had a dollar in January, you have 85 cents today with what's what's been going on. But um, as far as business in general, I think with gridlock, taxes won't go up and regulations will not go up. Um, 
I'm not sure what Biden can do with the stroke of a pen, but like when he wanted to forgive student loan debt, there's lawyers that have shut him down and said you can't do that. Uh, so it's possible that government isn't going to change for two years. And I think from that standpoint, business can relax a little bit and maybe get back to business and, and things will improve. But I don't know for sure. I just don't know. Boy, that would be good. I would love to see business get back to business uh, quicker. Uh, this is slower. I think uh, I can speak for everybody on that. All right, uh, Dave, we've got a quick speed round. Uh, I'll, I'm going to ask like two or three questions because I know you got to get out of here. Um, number one, do you have any daily rituals that you swear by? Every morning before I go out the door, my wife and I do a quick little devotion. We got two little books that we read and we pray over the day. Um, beyond that, um, uh, I, I start running and uh, I bounce from this to this to this yeah. to this to this to this until it's, you know, <laughs> five o'clock and then I shut it down. I do a lot of marriage counseling. So uh, two nights a week, I'm counseling at-risk couples. And then on Saturday mornings, I have two couples, you know, that I'm working with. So, um, you know, business during the day, ministry at night. Yeah. And, you know, one of the coolest things is when you see couples that are really at risk. And after you work with them, you see them fall back in love with each other. And... Uh, it's one of the greatest things in life that I do. It feels good. I've got two of them going right now where both of them have been divorced and they weren't ever gonna get married again. And they met each other and they were doing what they shouldn't do before marriage and just living like they were married, but they aren't. And then they got convicted about it and they stopped being intimate with each other. They've gone through counseling and I got two of them, and both of the guys have told me they're going to propose within the next month and, that's good. and get it right. And I'll tell you, that's just so cool. Yeah. It's just so cool. So anyway, run your company the way I talked about. Take care of your marriage above everything else. Inspire your employees to do the same and build them up and train them and get them the experience they need. If you got 30-year-olds in your business or 40-year-olds, Pour everything you can into them and take the years of experience that you have and help them grow so that they don't make a lot of the same mistakes. I made so many mistakes in my 20s and 30s that if I can take the young people that work for me and help them not make those same mistakes, it's a, it's a really great thing. So anyway, and run your company accountable to God, I believe, because at the end of the day, we're all going to be accountable for how we live and what we do. And if you do everything you do in life as if you were doing business with Jesus Christ, everything's going to work out pretty good. I'm pretty sure of that. That's great. Amen. That's a great place to end it. Dave, always appreciate talking to you. Thanks for taking the time to join yeah. us today. Great seeing you guys. Thank you. Thank you.